And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome back, everybody. It's another J.C. and Morgan college football podcast. Glad to have you along as we get closer and closer to Christmas. We still have, I guess, one more of these before Santa starts uh, stuffing stockings. Say that fast five times. Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network, J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports coming to you each and every week from the mecca of college football, Atlanta, Georgia. J.C., how are you? Uh, Doing good, Mike. Um, Big week uh, coming up here. Uh, We're six days from the early signing day, and last year, um, I think it kind of caught everybody off guard. We had... uh, there are 80% of the prospects from around the country that signed with power five or FBS level schools signed during the early period. So I think we're going to see a a kind of a transition uh, in college football, as far as national signing day goes, uh, you know, as we move along to where this is going to be the big signing day, which, which I don't mind because December, it kind of hurts my January a little bit. Uh, or, you know, because there, there used to be that used to be the recruiting month, and it kind of extended mm-hmm. the season out. Um, but I, December to me is a great college football month, um, really for for college football and basketball. I start getting into basketball too then, and, and so throwing a signing day in there that, that's no big deal. It could just be a festive, big old, outstanding month, and uh, gives me more of a reason to take a vacation uh, the day after Christmas through New Year's like I normally do anyway. So it's uh, it's good, but it's coming up above us uh, or upon us. And um, I've been digging into a lot of the top prospects uh, from around the country. Um, Alabama's class is looking sick. Uh, if we remember, they were freaking out because they finished seventh in the team rankings last year. Uh, it's going to be a solid number one uh, this cycle. And uh, Georgia and Texas A&M uh, round out the top three, so the SEC continues to acquire a lot of talent. But I've been digging into that all day, looking at some coaching change stuff, kind of uh, just really digging into the sport all day today. So glad we had a chance to do this podcast. Yeah, this is going to be a really uh, busy month for you, and we're going to get uh, much more in-depth on recruiting as we get closer and closer to signing day, I'm with you. December is is such a great month. Now I know I know we have no games to talk about, but from just a talking standpoint, mm-hmm. December and college football is fantastic. Now we don't have the drama of the, some of the major coaches coaching searches that we did last year, and I don't know if anything will ever match what what took place in Knoxville a year ago. Hmm. I mean that was just <laughs> that was fantastic in terms of uh, if you like kind of a soap opera going on to sit back and watch and enjoy one fun for Tennessee fans. I can assure you, but for everybody else, that was uh, that was ratings gold, uh, but this is, it's a, there's so much to talk about and, and uh, we'll get into, by the way, since you mentioned it, I just get this sense, this groundswell of angst coming from the likes of Auburn and LSU that Texas A&M now with Jimbo Fisher is going to crack the code. Like their recruiting is going to be top notch every year. Uh, the facilities have already gotten to that point. And at some point, I think a lot of people, and I, I, I think it's a concern. Maybe a lot of Auburn fans and LSU fans don't want to say this, but the concern is that Texas A&M is going to become a solid number two in the West division given time, you know, unless something unforeseen happens. And look, LSU's not going anywhere. They're going to be, 
whether it's Ed Orgeron or somebody else five years from now, I mean, they're still going to be a really good program. And Auburn's not going anywhere. They're still going to be really good. I don't know what is going to happen with Gus. Got a new offensive coordinator. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but I just get the feeling that one of the most underachieving programs in the history of college football, uh, Texas A&M, could certainly start to change that here soon. Here's what I think the key for them is, Mike. They need to bring back the wrecking crew. Um, and, and here's the, here's the challenge that they have, you know, they, they were a big 12 football team, uh, when they and Missouri both joined the league and both of those programs, really, to be honest, I know Missouri scheduled or, or struggled their first year, uh, in 2012, then won two straight sec East. Um, and A&M had that great first year where they went to the cotton bowl, beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, all that, um, so there's kind of an element of surprise with both. Uh, I think Missouri had a good, de- a, se- a, a sneaky good secret defensive line plan uh, that helped them compete. But but A and M had that one good year, uh, and then they had Johnny Football back, and they were okay. And then they were basically Ole Miss. <laughs> you know, there were no def- not a lot of defense, good on offense, skill talent, uh, can't tackle that kind of thing. And I knew that was going to be a problem for them when they transitioned into the league. And it wasn't talent necessarily. And I don't even know that it was coaching because John Chavis certainly is a accomplished defensive coordinator. I, I think some of his defenses have a tendency to get lit up from time to time when he doesn't have overwhelming talent, but that was good. But I think with the way they're building it now, Mike, you look at Jimbo Fisher and his staff and how they're recruiting, they're getting big, fast linemen. They, they've always had great safeties in the state of Texas. They've got a really good guy coming in. Um, they're going to be in a few years. If Mike Elko stays and, and he had a, got a contract extension or something uh, the other day, he was up for one of those smaller jobs, I think Temple. Um, if he stays and they continue to get better on that side of the ball, which they were dramatically improved there this year, I think that's what you're gonna how you're gonna topple Bama. Because you start signing the top players out of Texas defensively, and then you actually go and play defense, you're going to have enough skill talent. Jimbo's a good enough quarterbacks coach, good enough developer of quarterbacks. Uh, they have enough wide re- they have wide receivers out the yang in the state of Texas. Uh, you're gonna have a good offensive line. You're gonna be able to put points on the board. Uh, and AM's AM's been able to do that. The, the issue's going to be defense and that's how you know I mean you're not going to play 74 72 seven overtimes against LSU very often you know that's how you're going to beat LSU that's how you're going to beat Alabama consistently um and, and I think big steps were made in the right direction this year they got the Gator Bowl coming up against NC State which I think they'll win uh and then as we move forward Mike I think that they are going to fundamentally change kind of their DNA as a program. And I think at that point, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, the Aggies are going to be challenging um, the Crimson Tide. The, the whole problem is they've, they've never done it before. I mean, we used to say that about, oh, they're going to challenge Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12. Well, they're good for an upset every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas State's a better program, you know. <laughs> I mean, but 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 I, I think that with the way they're recruiting and the way they're building it, and, and the talent they're going to be able to stack up 
uh, and the the uh, I guess focus on the defensive side of the ball. They bring the wrecking crew back, and remember when they had the wrecking crew, Mike? That was their glory time under R.C. Slocum after Jackie Sherrill left. Uh, they had the wrecking crew on defense. They get that right, uh, and I'm right there with you. I think talent-wise, um, scheme-wise, coaching-wise, program-wise, the $75 million man is going to earn his keep. Yeah, and I'm, I'm by no means putting Jimbo in the category of Nick because, no. I, I, you know, we're watching Nick Saban. I mean, Mike Loxley gets a head coaching job, and you know, he might do fine. He might not. It doesn't – if you're if you take a coordinator job, Dan Enos is about to find this out. Um, under Nick Saban, you are your profile is going to be enhanced immeasurably, and you're going to become a much greater coach by fortune of the fact that you, obviously you've got elite talent, but you're working under the greatest college football coach I think of all time. Um, who, by the way, doesn't seem to be losing any steam. I mean, I think he looks at a guy like Shashevsky and says, "Well." If Coach K can keep winning national titles and going to Final Fours and not hang it up and just sit there on the beach and play golf all day, why can't I do it? I get the feeling that's what's going to happen in Tuscaloosa. I don't think he's leaving anytime soon. Um, and as long as he is the king, it, t- equal talent to me, advantage still Bama as long as Nick Saban is there. But uh, I think if you're Texas A&M, uh, you could have a stranglehold on that number two slot if the things continue to progress the way they are number three and number four are still great. Those are still great slots in the sec West. Again, this is not a knock on Auburn, not a knock on LSU. I just think Texas A&M has a chance to, uh, to, to lock into there. Yeah. In that spot. I mean, look, look at this. I mean, so we're talking about football recruiting rankings. All right. Bama's number one, Georgia's number two, Texas A&M is number three. LSU is number four. Then you got Clemson, and then Texas, Oregon, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Notre Dame. I mean, that they're you know the top six programs are, are either in the southeast or in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and can you foresee a year where Texas A and M under Jimbo Fisher is not going to have a top ten recruiting class? I mean, it seems hard to think that's going to be ever be the case. Yeah, Kevin, right? Kevin Sumlin had plenty of top ten recruiting classes. And right. I, and I want to say this, though. You know, that's not the end-all, be-all. And then I'll say this. Sumlin had very few top five classes. This is a top three to five class right now. Um, I'll say this. I did some research today. Okay, Florida State wins the national championship in 2013. All right. Here's where they're recruiting ranked the next five years. 2014, number four nationally, first in the ACC. 2015, number three nationally, first in the ACC. 2016, number three nationally, first in the ACC. And in in 2015, which was the season preceding this class, Clemson played for all the marbles. 2017, after Clemson wins the whole thing, Number six nationally, number one in the ACC. Finally, the last cycle, 2018, they finished number 11 nationally, second in the ACC, and I think Clemson was fifth. That is the first time during this recent run since FSU won the whole thing in 2013 that Clemson has finished ahead of Florida State uh, in terms of the rankings. And, Mm. And there were years, Mike, where Clemson was 
kind of 16th, 17th in the country. They signed great players, but they mm-hmm. didn't get the hype. You um, know the difference? Uh, when's the last time in that, in that time frame? When's the last time you said Clemson can't block anybody on their offensive line? Whereas with Florida State, it always seems uh, to be an issue. Yeah. That's what I hear from Seminole fans. We got all these top-rated recruiting cl- classes, but how the hell can we not get top-rated offensive linemen to come to Tallahassee? Or why don't we develop them when they get there? Oh well, yeah, I mean that that, that was an, that was obviously an issue when you look on the field. But look, man. They were seven and six last year, had to reschedule a game to get to the Independence Bowl. And then this year, they're five and seven. They had two playoff teams on their schedule, lost by a combined score of 101 to 23, lost to Florida 41 14 in a game to get to a bowl, uh, played their butts off against Miami, lost by a point. Miami was a disappointment, lost to Syracuse 30 to seven. I mean, I don't care. I don't care if you have like, um, you know, the sisters of the poor out there blocking. I mean, you, you've got enough players to where you should be able to be better than that. So the point of this is, is that just because you're signing top five classes, that 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 doesn't mean that that's the only thing that needs to go well. Like I said, Kevin Sumlin recruited really well at A&M uh, rankings-wise. And a lot of good players, a lot of future NFL guys. Um, I don't think anybody would deny that LSU had a lot of talent. I, I don't think anybody would say that Mark Rick didn't recruit a lot of talent to Georgia. Some of these programs have talent, but that does, that, that's not the secret sauce necessarily that goes into everything. And, and I'll give another example, and then we'll move on. Ohio State has recruited in the top five for years. Their defense gave up a combined 100 points to Maryland and Purdue this year. Now, you know, they were missing one guy, you know, their their secondary never got it together. Maybe it's coaching, but there's still talent on that defense. They should not be that bad. Uh, and that's my point, because I think a lot of college football fans look at look at players and they're like, oh, he's a four star, five star. Uh, and they just expect, you know, this player to be better than the, the three star that's also on their roster. And that's not always the case. If you look at the NFL draft, it's about 50 50. Guys that are four or five stars in the first round and guys that weren't. Football's a talent maximization game. And so you have to have the right culture and the right staff to do that. I don't think Jimbo necessarily did at FSU, especially with Rick Trickett and the offensive line. That's nothing against Rick Trickett. It just obviously didn't work out. But I think out at Texas A&M with the staff he's got there now, uh, I think you're going to see that because I think he knows that – you know, he probably probably made some mistakes down at Florida State, and it really had nothing to do with recruiting and talent. Uh, it was more the other stuff. Yeah, and I, I would I would add a couple of things to all that. You know, number one, as you know better than anybody, evaluating college football players at a high school is nothing like evaluating high school basketball players per se. Okay, <laughs> you can look at LeBron James in high school, and you can look at a Kobe Bryant or, you know, a Zion Williamson right now. And it's not nearly as hard to project how they're going to play in the NBA versus how a right guard at Podunk High School in Montgomery, Alabama, is going to project at the next level. I mean, it's just it's an entire Barrett Jones, who's a former All-American at Alabama, told me he's like, Mike, guys simply have no clue on how to evaluate high school offensive linemen. 
and I and I know you would take exception to that. I'm sorry. Uh, he, uh, Barrett, he said, except J.C. Sherbert. He Barrett, said, except J.C. Sherbert. I rated you, Barrett. I rated Barrett <laughs> Jones higher than I think anybody in the country when I was at Rivals. Man, that's right. That's I right. I love that. Actually, he should have been high. He was a high. I think a high four star. He played at a private school in Memphis, so, so that that but but he should have been a five because he was a hell of an offensive lineman. Right, right, yeah. and and look, I mean, you, I'll put myself into this equation. I've never evaluated high school talent for a living as you have. I'd have a hard time evaluating offensive line. I mean, because okay. you're looking at a kid who's 300 pounds, he's going up against a defensive lineman who's like 210. And he's pushing him around all day. I don't know if that's because he's talented or it's just because he's that much bigger than the other guy. Or you're recruiting a guy that's 6'6", 240, and you have to put 60 pounds on him. Right, uh, right. You know, and, 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 and build him up, and it's about frame. And so you're, like, trying to predict Mother Nature. Yeah, it's, it's it, I mean, exactly. our offensive line and quarterback are the two spots that, that are the hardest, in my opinion, because offensive line – you're trying to predict mother nature uh, and, and, and so many of those guys get hurt and banged up and it, it's a thankless spot to play uh, here in the Southeast. We like to think that we have the best players, uh, best football players down here. Totally. We got all the best football players. That's bull crap. You don't on the offensive line, you go up in the North and the Midwest and there are mm-hmm. infinitely more offensive line prospects, even out in California, look at Alabama's offensive line. And you'll see a guy pop up from like Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, a guy from California, a tackle from California. They'll go hit the junior colleges. They'll go up into New Jersey, um, and they have the best offensive line in the in the SEC. Watch what Sam Pittman does at Georgia. His starting tackle this year is from Brooklyn, New York. Um, we don't have great offenses, so so it's hard in the, in the SEC. People want to know why Auburn was struggling so much on the offense. You don't have like linemen down here, offense. Because all the great athletes play defensive line. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and that's kind of where they're at. And then it's easy to find DBs. It's easy to find receivers. Easy to find running backs. Heck, it's easy sometimes to find quarterbacks down here. But offensive line is not that way. And then quarterback is difficult because so much of that position, Mike, is about what's between the ears and what's in the chest. And that's really true for all of football, but especially quarterback. Oh, no doubt. And it, that is impossible. You're talking about, you know, judging someone's bravery. I mean, how do we? How do you do that with football think, and, and their intelligence? Think of how many people miss on NFL evaluating college quarterbacks. Oh, and that's terrible. after seeing a that's after seeing a kid at the yeah. college level for 3 to 4 years. So naturally, when we're talking about evaluating high school quarterbacks, it's even so much more of an unknown. You don't have a lot of great tape normally. Uh, you don't know what kind of maturity level. You don't know what's between the ears. Uh, it's an entirely different. I mean, you look at the, all the elite 11 quarterbacks, and that might be an antiquated uh, measure. You would know better than, than me, JC. Well, no, but it's usually it's usually the the quote unquote best. It, it, yeah. And okay. It, they still use that term, elite, yeah, elite 11. It, it, yeah, it's usually probably about. Well, and there's more than 11. There's 12 or 13. Okay. Uh, and Trent Dilfer does a great job with those guys. It's a great event. I would say of all the Elite 11s I covered and, and just looking at how those guys turned out, it's probably at the beginning, it's probably, you know, it's, it's 100% of the top quote-unquote quarterback prospects. And then when all is said and done, it's probably about 65 to 70% of the guys that are the best ones that go into the NFL. So that's not a bad number. 
not a bad number at all. But let me give you a prime example of just uh, we've gotten off on a tangent here. We'll take it back full circle in a second. But let me give you a prime example of the enigma that is evaluating quarterbacks at all at the various levels. Jeff Driscoll was an elite 11 guy, right? Goes to Florida. Uh, <laughs> Will, helps Will Muschamp gets, get fired. Let's put it that way. Because Jeff Driscoll, when the lights were on in the swamp in big games, absolutely uh, – I'm going to clean up this expression. He, he folded. He like a cheap tent. He just, he wasn't ready for that. Okay. I don't want to use the other ones too graphic. <laughs> um, so everybody's like, ah, Jeff Driscoll sucks. Another, another elite 11 guy. Who's a bust. Another five-star kid. Who's a flop, blah, 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 blah. I do a couple of his games at Florida. He was not very good. Then he goes to Louisiana tech. I do one of his games at Louisiana tech. I feel like I'm following Jeff Driscoll at this point. And I had a good chance to talk to him. He said, you know, I just wasn't ready for the pressure of being the starting quarterback in Gainesville. I feel comfortable now. And he does very well at Louisiana tech, but you say, well, yeah, that's conference USA competition. That tells you nothing. This past Sunday, Jeff Driscoll started a game in the NFL. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That is the roller coaster of evaluating a quarterback from age 16 to 25. I mean, you just don't know what you're getting now. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make this all come full circle and we're going to get into new coaching hires. It's been kind of a busy uh, week or so players skipping bowl games, some of the best bowl matchups. And yes, the cry for an 18 playoff predictably is coming from the leagues that are not always in the 14 playoff. Um, <laughs> I couldn't help when we were talking about Texas A&M of thinking, what if they had Kyler Murray and how would that team be different this year? And, and maybe it'd be a moot point. Cause he, if he didn't transfer, he wouldn't have sat out and he would have played baseball after one, whatever, but let's just say Kyler Murray did stay at Texas A&M uh, Jimbo Fisher and not Kevin. Someone was the coach and he decided I, I like being here and I, I I'm an Aggie. Uh, Kyler Murray recently wins the Heisman trophy. Did you watch any of the presentation? Uh, the, it was long and drawn out, to be honest. Yeah, with you. I, I, they, they've gotten so long. I mean, I remember it used to be, you know, they'd cut in 15 minutes at the downtown athletic club. And, right, right. And so and so it was like halftime of the Army-Navy game or something on CBS. Now it's this big production. So, no, I, I, I didn't watch it. I was um, I was a little upset about the, the, the Twitter fiasco that 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 the 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 cowardly gotcha journalist for usa today oh, wrote yeah, about yeah, yeah. um yes. and, but but i uh you know no. I, I thought tua would probably I, I thought tua tua would have gotten my vote probably up until the mississippi state game okay uh, and then when he got hurt i kind of you know you just kind of didn't you know <laughs> something he kind of went back a little bit um and I don't know if I'd have voted for Kyler Murray or not because I still don't think the Big Twelve plays defense. But well, that—that's the quandary. Yeah. And see that as as a Heisman voter, and this was my eleventh year, and it's the first time I ever struggled. Now it's not the first time I voted for a guy who didn't win it, and I don't care if I vote for a guy who doesn't win it because my go—I'm not voting trying to predict who's going to win it and say I got it right. I'm voting who I thought was the best player in college football, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, I voted for Christian McCaffrey over Derrick Henry, and I'll still tell you Christian McCaffrey <laughs> that year was a better college football player than Derrick Henry. I voted for Deshaun Watson 
over Lamar Jackson. And I will tell you, and most people, if they had a redo on that vote, mm-hmm. would have given it to Deshaun Watson. So this is only the third year I voted for a guy who did not win, and I'll tell you uh, why. And I think it's it's a very interesting um, kind of case study. I think people look back at this vote and and kind of try to further define the flaws uh, and the different facets of, of Heisman Trophy voting. Because say what you want about the Heisman Trophy. I know a lot of people blast the award and whatnot. It's the only award. Can you tell me who won the – NFL MVP two years ago. No. Can you tell me who won the major league baseball MVP last year? Uh, can you tell me who won the Cy Young three years ago? Can you tell me who won the uh, uh, shoot NBA MVP a couple of years ago? It's the only award that resonates over mm-hmm. time. True. It, it, like if you're at a bar playing random trivia and you say, did this guy win a Heisman trophy or not? People know. I mean, people just remember. So the award does matter. And I take my vote rather seriously. So, okay, this one I struggled with. Here's my only I I said all along, if people voted Kyler Murray, I had no problem with it. I I don't think and for that matter, I think you could have made a strong case for Dwayne Haskins. But um, we knew he wasn't going to win. I knew toward I waited till the Sunday after the championship games. That's when you started hearing it's going to be Kyler Murray. It's going to be Kyler Murray. I said, okay, it's fine. I'm still voting to him. And here's why. Uh, you're absolutely right. He, he faded late. He clearly is hurt. There's even talk about how banged up he is for the playoff game on the 29th. Mm-hmm. Um, if he does start, how effective he's going to be. There's some reports coming out about that, how, how accurate they are. Who knows? But I know one thing. I've been watching him limp around for a month now. Uh, and he's clearly not the same. But... My only problem with some of those that voted Kyler Murray is this. Of the 800 and something voters, I'm convinced a lot of them didn't watch a single game that Kyler Murray played in, didn't watch many that Tua played in. They, the problem used to be people turned in their ballots too early, which was egregious. Uh, if you turned in a Heisman Trophy vote in like late October, early November, you should have been disqualified from your vote right then and there. Now I think the problem has swung the other way where everybody waits till after championship Saturday, but they let that be the tell. Like in other words, nothing else happened before that game. Uh-huh. So we all knew it was close before Saturday. Kyler Murray plays great against another big 12 defense. And Tua does not look good at all against a very salty Georgia defense. Um, you know, it's not like he was terrible. He wasn't Gino, Gino Toretta bowl game, national championship game, bad, but he, he was not great. And so, and then Jalen hurts comes in and he's the hero. So that was enough for people that all along were saying to a, to a, to a, to a, okay, no, no, now I got to change my vote. And that to me is a little bit of a, too much of an overreaction. Like if you thought Tua was the guy going into that Saturday, I don't know if you could single-handedly change do a one eighty and say Kyler Murray and you knew Kyler Murray. And again, I'm a Kyler Murray fan. I wish we could have two more years of Kyler Murray in college football. I love a kid that size who's the same height as Russell Wilson, but not nearly as thick that can dominate games like that. Love them. Love them. Want to see more of them. I'm, I'm sad that we're not going to, but I'm not convinced that he was the best player in college football because he did it against wretched defenses all year long. And so, and, and I mean, I think there was a, a stat on Twitter, something like Tua played 150 fewer snaps 
because again, he was so dominating through three quarters for much of the season. He didn't sit there and pile up numbers in the fourth quarter. Like a lot of guys would have back in the day. So my only thing is this, no problem that Kyler won it. No problem. If you voted for Kyler, I just hope you didn't do it based on one game that that completely swung your vote because for me it did not. Yeah, and I watched I watched most of Alabama's game against Auburn in the Iron Bowl, and I thought I thought Tua was spectacular. He was in great that game against a very good Auburn defense. I think I think what what got him was that Mississippi State game. He was hurt. Okay, <laughs> then they're tied with Citadel at halftime. And and that wasn't really on him. I mean, that was kind of the Citadel running the option, and they ended up winning that game like fifty to seventeen. Um, and then you know that Jalen Hurts had to bail him out against Georgia because he was hurt. And I I think that the totality of that, and you're right, because the last taste in the mouth of the voters was, okay, well, uh, you know, he had to. They wouldn't have won had he stayed in the game, if you're going to hypothesize that. And then Kyler Murray. I mean, look, Texas plays okay defense. They're not great. Um, You know, goes up and down the field against a Big 12 defense. Whoop-dee-whoop-dee-doo. He's done it all the time. I will say this, too. I have a a couple of contacts out at Oklahoma that I talked to at the beginning of the year uh, within that football program, and they said, you know – after talking to Lincoln Riley and other people within the program that as much as they loved Baker Mayfield and as much of a baller as he, he is, they thought Kyler Murray was even more special because of what he could do with his feet, his arm, everything. He's hard to see. Um, and it's going to be interesting. I, I tend to think that Alabama will win that game something like 63 to 30. But I think we're going to have a uh, a lot of points on the board uh, in the Orange Bowl uh, this year for sure. I do too. I do too. Anyway, I I, uh, I, I do hope we first of all we don't need eight hundred something Heisman voters. I know a few people that have a Heisman vote, one of which is actually a I would say a friend of mine. I use that term loosely. Um, who's not even in the business anymore covering sports like guys in like fundraising or something. And they give them a Heisman. Like, like we, we need to, we need to start uh, narrowing that down and refining the vote a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Somebody, uh, a friend of mine tried to get me on the, on the Heisman voting campaign, but I, I lived in Tennessee at the time. And I guess they had enough voters from that state. I guess they do it by state or something. I don't they know. They do. Yes. And so, uh, so I missed out on, on that, but, um, Oh, well, I'd have voted. Well, you get nothing for it, I can tell you that. I, In 11 years, I've never gotten anything other than a, a yearly pamphlet. I, w- I, would, I would have <laughs> thought about it, um, but I, I would have gone to uh, as well. Uh, but I would have thought about it after that just because Mississippi State game was in my mind. Sure. Tied at the Citadel was in my mind. And then uh, Jalen Hurts had to bail you out was in the mind. But, mm-hmm. but, but I think that's all just because Alabama's been so dominant all year. Right. Um, and every team, no matter how dominant, hits that stretch where – Ah, they face a little adversity, and and I think that's good, quite frankly, because I think that Nick Saban can use that to get oh, his attention, yeah. and he'll probably throw for about seven touchdowns against Oklahoma's <laughs> defense if he's healthy. If he's, if he's I, healthy, I, I, again, I, if if you start seeing him limp in that first quarter, I'd be a little bit nervous about that. Um, I'm not sure if that that injury is going to be healed by December the 29th, but we'll keep an eye out for that uh, for sure. By the way, I think it's Oklahoma's fourth 
Heisman Trophy quarterback in like 19 years. Yeah, Jason White, Jason White, Sam Bradford, and then back to back Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So yeah, that's really odd. Boomer. There, there are prestigious programs that have never UCLA has never had a Heisman Trophy winner, right? I don't think no. UCLA has ever had one. Oklahoma has four in 19 years, and again, they do it in a league that just plays almost no defense. Yeah, <laughs> kind of to your interesting you say it, Troy. You know, Troy Aikman started his career at Oklahoma. At Oklahoma under and uh, UCLA under yeah. Barry Switzer, but I mean, Oklahoma is a program, Mike. That that I remember Jamel Holloway running the option back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Sure, this didn't start until Stoops went and brought yep. in Mike Leach as his offensive yep. coordinator that first year. Uh, and then he had Mangino take over, right. and then, you know, the, along and along they go. Josh Heupel, who's the coach at UCF now, was their first quarterback. He was a Juco yeah. kid. That's right. So, you That's know, right. Th- th- and, of course, Stoops, started it. Stoops made the, the, the biggest strides in his career, made a name for himself as what? The defensive coordinator at Florida on a national mm-hmm. championship team under Steve Spurrier. He's watched, he watched Steve Spurrier's offense <laughs> score a ton of points, and throw for a ton of yards. And I think he took some of that philosophy with him in Norman, Oklahoma, and said, we're not going to be a three yards and a cloud of dust team. And as we've talked about a number of times this podcast, that's what that conference is right now, is is just throw, 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 minimal defense. Um, th- that game with Alabama on the 29th is going to th- – the overall perception of the Big 12 conference is so much on the line because – if first of all, if they get boat raced, you know, obviously it's a bad thing, but if they prove once again, that they just can't play a lick of defense and Alabama goes up and down the field, it's a, it's a bad look, not just for Oklahoma. It's a bad look for the league and the perception, like the the word is out. I mean, people look at the big 12 now, the way they used to look at the whack back in the eighties and nineties, like nobody plays a lick of defense. And so it's hard for people to take the conference as seriously as they might otherwise do. Uh, so that'll be something to look uh, into as well. We'll get more into those games later. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, just all the coaching hires. So let, let's get to this, shall we? I, I want to point out one more thing about this Oklahoma yeah. thing. Go ahead. All right. Jason White, Sam Bradford, not four or five-star prospects. Both were three. Both were from mm-hmm. in-state. Baker Mayfield, of course, was a walk-on coming out of high school. So Kyler Murray is the first five-star recruit at quarterback um, that Oklahoma has had to win a Heisman Trophy. I mean, you, you had some other guys that have gone through there, Landry Jones, Rhett Bomar. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting that they end up uh, – the guys that they end up winning big with or that end up winning Heismans end up being – you know, guys that weren't all that heavily recruited, which right. goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Quarterbacks ridiculously hard to evaluate. Yes, absolutely. All absolutely. Right. Uh, head coaches can be hard to evaluate as well. So here's what we got. Uh, Chris Kleiman is at Kansas State. Uh, I, I, I love this hire. I, I know some Kansas State fans are not thrilled to death about it. For those that don't know, Kleiman is a guy that went 67-6 and six with North Dakota State. Uh, he's going to succeed Hall of Fame coach Bill Snyder. The guy is one of the few guys to make this kind of jump from FCS to Power 5. This does not happen very often. Uh, Jim Harbaugh did it. 
course, at San Diego, not San Diego State now, University of San Diego, the Toreros, who were uh, fresh off an 11-1 and season winning the Pioneer Football League Championship. Uh, he got the, the gig at Stanford. Uh, but very few guys are able to, to, to make that jump. Kleiman is going to get a chance to do it. Georgia Tech has a new football coach. He comes from Temple. His name is Jeff Collins. Jeff Collins has Atlanta written all over him. He's 47 years of age. He's from Conyers. He was a grad assistant tight ends coach under Georgia Leary, recruiting coordinator under Chan Gailey in 2006. Uh, I think most people look at that as, at bare minimum, a very safe hire, a very logical hire uh, for that particular job. Uh, We've got a lot of coordinators moving we already talked about Mac Brown last week. Who am I missing, JC? Am I missing another? Uh, Mel Tucker, Georgia's defensive coordinator, took Correct. Colorado. I, I thought, yes. You know, look, Mel Tucker's been in line. I mean, he, he was kind of in that Tennessee mix uh, last year. Well, Colorado's not a horrible job. Mike McIntyre, who's now the D coordinator at Ole Miss, um, actually won a division there, and, and they started this year 4-0 or ranked in the top 15. The bottom fell out. Um. You know, so it's it, Colorado's got some tradition. I, I think that in the Pac-12 South, as long as SC kind of stays down and, you know, the rest of those schools are just kind of, you know, iffy and up and down. Utah won it this year because Utah's probably cons- more consistent than any of those other schools. I, I, I You know, I think, I think it's a good job. Um, you know, Mel Tucker's got kind of a, a, a pro background before he went to Bama. Uh, everyone that knows him that's coached with them thinks he's a heck of a coach, though. So I think that um, it'll be interesting to see there. Scott Satterfield from App State gets Louisville after Jeff Brom turned him down. I think that's a pretty good hire. I think, you know, Scott Satterfield always made sense to me going to North Carolina or NC State if they ever, you know, fire Dave Doran. Um, Walt Bell, Florida State's O.C., it's UMass. Eh, I mean, he's a you know an up and comer. Gets an opportunity up there. Mike Houston from James Madison, the Dukes, uh, is another FCS coach going up. He got Correct. he got East Carolina. Now remember, he uh, he accepted Charlotte, and then East Carolina said, "Hey, well, we'd like to hire you." And East Carolina's a, a better job, and they get 56000 a game. I think he'll, he's going to go there and do big things. And I think in five years, Mike, we're going to be talking about the Mike Houston sweepstakes. Um, Interesting. I think he's that good of a coach. I love Kansas State's hire. Um, I, I think uh, Matt Wells going to Texas Tech uh, is a guy that you looked at Utah State, and they were, they were usually up, and then you think, well, he's going to get a job maybe in the Pac-12, and then – Something happens and he doesn't get it. And then, you know, Utah State comes back all of a sudden and they're good again. Um, Everybody I've talked to says Matt Wells is very good. He he was kind of going down that Pat Fitzgerald road where, okay, you've been at Utah State, you've transformed that school, and you've done a great – you know, that's a skiing school, Utah State, okay? They're they're near ski lifts and and such. Um, And he hasn't played winning football. I thought it was an interesting hire for Texas Tech. Um, we'll see kind of how he does. Who knows? Scott Loeffler getting hired at Bowling Green, hired Brian Van Gorder as his defensive coordinator. So you got the pair that got Gene Chiswick fired, coaching Bowling Green now. Uh, 
they're and the mustache they're gonna Florida. suck he requires um, a separate residence yes the mustache I mean, does i mean he, he used to be one of the best coordinators in college football when he was at georgia boy how the mighty have fallen um Mike Loxley going to Maryland. I, I think that made a lot of sense for them. Hopefully he does better than he did at New Mexico. Did you hear <laughs> what Hugh Freeze said when he got introduced at, at, at Liberty? Oh, yeah, the junk. Yeah, Jesus the- is the only person that could handle my junk. Yes. And I was like, oh, my goodness, yeah. man. Might want to work on the phrasing of that uh, comment, Hugh. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I think – Look, look, good for Hugh Freeze. It's a head coaching job. I know a thing or two about Liberty. I used to know their their former athletic director. That is a school with Monet. They can pay. Uh, they they were convinced they were going to somehow get into a Power Five conference. They did get themselves into the FBS level. Uh, if it doesn't work there for Hugh Freeze, it won't be because of a lack of commitment to football. I know for a lot of people, Liberty, they just think of what Jerry Falwell. And they, they, they don't they know it's a Christian school and they don't think much of, at all about their athletics. They are serious about athletics at Liberty. Uh, and I could see where they would have given a good enough presentation to Hugh Freeze. And I say all that because I would have been more than fine with Hugh Freeze being an OC in the SEC. And I know there would have been some backlash and he might have gotten a cold shoulder from some folks. But I, I think Hugh Freeze has paid his time. Uh, he, he's done his penance. And there's no question he is a good play caller on offense. I think it would actually have been an interesting hire in the SEC had he not been offered that job. I was I was waiting to see what program is going to have the stones to to go ahead and, and make that move. But as it turns out, it never happened because he gets the the Liberty job. And I'll just add one other thing. Uh, you kind of mentioned it in passing. The same way you feel about some of the other guys, I think Will Healy is a guy five years from now. That is going to be highly hmm, coveted. That's interesting. Yeah, he's a uh, he's an interesting cat, man. Really? I, I got introduced to Will Healy doing an Austin P at Arkansas game, <laughs> and if you know the story, if you don't know the story about Austin P when he took over that job, Google it. They were one of it was one of the most atrocious situations. One in forty five. Yes, I mean it was just brutal. Uh, he was the FCS coach of the year in 2017. I, I actually was hoping he'd get a better job than Charlotte because I think this guy's got the chops where he can be a stud at at a big-time uh, job. Charlotte's got a lot of challenges, but uh, I love that hire. I think Will Healy is going places. That that program, too, though, I mean, there was a lot of interest in it. it, it that program is only like five, six years old. Right. Um, and, and there are a lot of good players uh, kind of around Charlotte. And if you can kind of work academics, in other words, get JUCOs in there, which I don't think UNC Charlotte has extreme admissions requirements. I mean, there's enough players where you can get, um, you know, you can get some guys. And I think that that's a, uh, a solid Solid sort of deal, you know. I mean, here's a guy that went to the Air Force Academy, uh, played at the University of Richmond, went home and was an assistant coach at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga for like six years, and then took that Austin P job. And you're right, Mike. The governors were not that good. Um, <laughs> and, and look, they played Georgia to open the season this year, right? And Georgia's really, really good, really talented. And here comes Austin P. 
And I thought Austin P battled in that game. They did some things. We went, oh, man, these guys are pretty good. Austin P basketball historically is great. Mm-hmm. Austin P football, not so much. So um, up there in Clarksville, Tennessee. And, and, I, and look, he's the type of guy, too, at 33, Mike. Let's say he does a Jim Levitt type of deal, maybe not as long at, at Charlotte like he did at, at USF. And and he's 41, and that thing all of a sudden in the Sun Belt is winning 10 games a year and going to ball. He will be able to write his ticket. Yep. Um, unlike Jim Levitt did when he just kind of stayed put. But I think, uh, I think, I think you're right about him. Um, I also like the uh, Manny Diaz hire at Temple. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, look, for Manny. Temple's becoming the next Cincinnati. I mean, it really is. Think about it. Al Golden got the Miami job from there. Uh-huh. Steve Adazio went to Boston College. Matt Rule went to Baylor. And then Jeff Collins to Georgia Tech. Those are all four pretty good jobs. And Temple is not. Temple is not Cincinnati, okay? <laughs> so Temple, Temple is uh, a bad, tough bad, tough place. tough place. I mean, I've been to their campus before, man. I don't even know where they practice. It's a basketball school, and yet all these great coaches have gone through there. So whoever's doing the hiring up there has done a good job. And yeah, um, I'm I'm hopeful, um, and I have not heard this, so I'm not reporting it. But uh, G. A. Mangus, who was the quarterbacks coach at South Carolina and was the OC after Spurrier left, good play caller, has ties to Philly, um, and coached with Manny Diaz back at Middle Tennessee. So I'm kind of Hopeful that G.A. Mangus gets on that staff and gets back into FBS-level football as well. Manny Diaz, talk about a guy who was sent in the into the abyss. He was kind of a scapegoat for Mac Brown's failings at Texas. Gets fired middle of the season, basically shown up. That's basically a, a head coach's way of telling everybody in the world, hey, it's not my fault, it's this guy's fault. That's why I fired him in the middle of the year. Winds up at Louisiana Tech. It all comes back to Ruston, Louisiana. It worked under Skip Holtz for a year, then gets back into the SEC, and now he's a head coach. I, I, th- I don't think Manny Diaz ever forgot how to coach uh, defense. I think he's a good coach. I'm glad to see him get the opportunity. It's fun to watch the, the paths, though, that some of these guys take. Uh, to go back to the climate hire, Kansas State also interviewed uh, Neil Brown, Mike Norvell, and Jim Levitt before they went with Kleiman. Again, it, it, kudos to it's an outside the box hire. Very few coaches go FCS to Power Five. That's uh, that's almost unheard of. Again, the last guy I could think of was was Jim Harbaugh in that respect. But um, but you got to wonder what more does Neil Brown have to do? What more does Mike Norvell have to do? Are these guys just bad? I, I mean, I've I've never. Never spoken to Neil Brown. I have spoken to Mike Norvell, had one of his games this year against Missouri. Uh, he's not a bad interview. He's not a bad communicator. What, what am I missing here that these two guys aren't getting better opportunities? I, I think with Neil Brown, um, I was sort of surprised that he didn't play into that Louisville thing a little more. Um, I, I think Neil hey, – look, Neil Brown to me right, – so, so what's going to happen – and I was on the radio in Tuscaloosa today. What is going to happen if and when Gus Malzahn gets fired at Auburn? Who is out there? Well, I think that if they fire Gus, they're going to have to go hit hit a home run. You know, they can't go keep, you know, oh, they hired Gus because he was on staff with Chiswick. They hired Chiswick because they could tell Chiswick who to hire. Uh, and he had a good staff, and then they want to talk. I mean, you know, because they got mad at Tuberville. They're going to have to go hire a guy. So 
you're basically looking at either begging Bob Stoops to come out of retirement to take Auburn, which I don't think is going to happen. Or you need to go make a hire like Lane Kiffin and just be so much different than Alabama that you're kind of the the alter ego. And he just sits there and needles Saban on Twitter all day, and you're Auburn, and you're the cool <laughs> school. And, you know, Kiffin can't go 2-10 and 10 at Florida Atlantic and get the Auburn job. But, um, you know, those are the things that you kind of have to do. And um, if you're Auburn, what I think is, yeah, all right, so if they don't go the Kiffin direction and they don't go and get a Stoops, um, you know, or outside of, like, taking the PR hit and hiring Art Bryles or something like that, um, or going Mike Leach, which they're an Under Armour school, so that could happen. I think Neil Brown's the guy. You just bring him up from Troy. He, he's a big-time coach uh, for that level. He's had some big-time wins. He's an overachiever. He's familiar with the state of Alabama, and, and you just go get him and you keep on rolling. Um, everybody's going to gripe because you didn't win the press conference. But, look, the last two coaches that you've had have played for national championships. One was the head coach at Arkansas State. Uh, one was the head coach at Iowa State that had a 5-19 and record. So there's nothing that says if you don't win the press conference, you can't win at Auburn. And, and I think that's the, that's the job that I think he could end up getting. Mike Nor- Norvell is interesting because I thought last year he'd get Ole Miss – they went with Luke, and I thought he'd be right there with Arkansas, too. And they went Chad Morris, and, and nothing wrong with Chad Morris. Um, and that kind of shut him out a little bit, so he stayed with Memphis. I don't think there was a job that made sense for him to take this year that was a good fit. Mm-hmm. I, I think he'll end up somewhere in the ACC or the SEC or back in the Pac-12 because he was at Arizona State. He's from the South. Um, and maybe even the Big 12, you know, I mean, look, if you're Texas Tech, you know, you're, you're going to look back on it if Matt Wells does not work out, and I think Matt Wells is a hell of a coach, that you didn't go try to get Mike Norvell, who's more of a, a scheme-fit guy for you. So um, I, I think I think he's kind of waiting along. Because, I mean, what you want to do if you're him, Memphis isn't a terrible job. Uh, I think you want to almost be like Justin Fuente and wait for that perfect yeah. fit. Um, rather than just jump into something where you, you may get your brains beat in and get fired after three years. I, I agree. He's going to lose his running back, who's, who's one of the best in the country. But I have a feeling they're going to keep winning as long as he's there. Good coach. Memphis is not a bad job uh, in that in that conference. Uh, eventually, there will be the right fit. But I, I don't see... I don't see many more years going where there's not the right opportunity for him. And he's a better coach than Josh Heupel. I mean, Heupel's not going to be able to keep that thing going, and so Memphis could be the king of that league here pretty soon. Yeah, that's that's another interesting point. We mentioned uh, some of the coordinators. By the way, Phil Longo is leaving. So Matt Luke's got two new coordinators now. Uh, Phil Longo going to North Carolina. I, I, I like Phil Longo. I think Phil Longo can do some good things in the right system in the right situation. I don't know if, if Ole Miss was the right situation. Uh, Mike McIntyre fills that void at, at Ole Miss. And of course, Gus Malzahn, who's going to call plays, does have a new uh, coordinator. I don't know what this from means yeah. from Memphis, right? And Dillingham, it, it, you know, Kenny Dillingham is a guy that's got a really good reputation. 
but you take a job as an OC for a guy who's on the hot seat and has outwardly say it's time for me to call plays again. I'm yeah. not sure if I like that move. Well, I mean, financially, <laughs> the guy that works for the guy has to be in the SEC. I mean, and look, Dillingham was working for a guy that's calling plays anyway. You know, he that's true. You never want to hand the keys to your offense over to the guy that worked for the guy. Okay. I've never, I've rarely, rarely seen that work out. I've seen it work out on defense. You know, Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, Mel Tucker, all those guys can call a defense now, you know, and they work, they were the guys that worked for the guy. Even Kevin Steele, who was Saban's first defensive coordinator, the guy that worked for the guy. Offensively, though, there's something about it that does not work. Um, and and you look around, I mean, Carl Franks, who was Steve Spurrier's quote-unquote offensive coordinator, Buddy Tevens, quote-unquote offensive coordinator for Spurrier. Um, Spurrier, Steve Spurrier Jr. tried to call place. Guy that works for the guy does not necessarily get it done. Now, in the Mike Leach coaching tree, you can kind of say that there's some guys that work for the guy that are pretty good. Cliff Kingsbury comes to mind. But, um, you know, a lot of the time you're just very hesitant to do that. And, and look, I even think that as good as some of the offenses that Rhett Lashley was the quote-unquote OC for at Auburn and then Chip Lindsey, you know, those guys are at UConn in Kansas, man. You know, and, and, and UConn's all of a sudden the worst defense in the country, but the guy that worked for the guy. You, you you just can't recapture. You're almost better off just, um, you know, finding somebody that's never called plays and see if they have a knack for it. I mean, you know, like like Clemson, when Chad Morris left, you know, they just promoted Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott and said, keep running what he's running, and, and it worked fine. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I think that, it, it, you know, you have a situation where whoever took that job at Auburn was going to be the guy that worked for the guy. And he just hired the guy that worked for the guy. So, Hey, to me, it makes sense. And he'll probably make twice as much money as he did at Memphis. So he gets two years for the price of one salary. And who knows, he may meet some interesting people, get some connections and latch on to the gravy yeah. train. Yeah, no, I, I understand the motive money talks and, and sec talks. So I, I get it. I just, uh, Oof, it's a little bit of a precarious situation to walk into. Um, good stuff on the coaching side. The, the, the coaching moves in college football this time of year, they're always fascinating. It's never dull. Again, it's not quite the uh, whirlwind we, well, that we had last year. We had basically six SEC coaching jobs up for grabs. Uh, but it's still very, very interesting. All right, going to make a Less than stellar segue. You like trivia, JC? You like a little little trivia? I got an easy question and a hard question. Which right. one do you want first? Uh, roll, uh, roll the, you want the uh, hard, hard first. one first. Yeah, yeah. You're a man that you know likes a good challenge. Face so the here, challenge. Yes. Yes. This has nothing to do with virtually anything that we've talked about, but I just I heard this nugget a couple of days ago, and I was like, that is fascinating. Uh, Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State. Dwayne Haskins has a chance to be the first quarterback taken if he if he shows out in the bowl game. Uh, of course, there's a, a guy in Eugene, Oregon, who will have a, a say with that when Herbert, a guy who's also very highly touted. But both could be top 10 picks. Which got me to thinking, when is the last time 
an Ohio State quarterback went in the first round. And I was like, hmm, okay. And then it got me to thinking, when is the last time a quarterback from the Big Ten went in the first round? Think about that for a second. Let's see if you can nail this one. The last time a Big Ten quarterback, and they've had some good ones now. This is not a chopped liver conference. The last time a Big Ten quarterback went in the first round. Oh, my. No Google searches permitted. I'm not. I want to say Terrell Pryor, but he was. Was he Terrell Pryor drafted as a as a QB? As a wide receiver? Uh, no. He, he was. Yeah, well, he didn't go first round he didn't anyway. He didn't go first round. No. Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> not a bad guess, but no. Not quite that far back. Elvis Gerback. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite that far back either. Oh man, Lordy! Um, gosh, Joe Germain. <laughs> oh gosh, no. Um, gosh, it's not Ohio State. I can tell you that. And it's Drew not Michigan. Br- Drew, it's not Drew Brees. Nope. Uh, Drew Purdue. Brees out of Purdue. And David Schnell from Indiana. No. Um, gosh. Well, it wasn't Christian Hackenberg from Penn State. <laughs> no. Um, which is sad. I know his dad. He he could have been a lot better than, than he was. Uh, that makes me sad to think about. Christian Hackenberg, good kid. Tough time to go to Penn State. But you um, digress. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, was it Kirk Cousins? Michigan uh, State? No, but I like your alliteration there. You're very close. Oh, yeah. Um, your your alliteration is almost the answer. That's the best clue Kerry I can get. Collins. There you State. go. Not Kirk Cousins, but Kerry Collins. Wow. See, I thought Kerry Collins was. Wow, well, maybe 1995. not. Nineteen ninety five. Yeah, that was the nineties. Bobby Ingram and yeah, nineteen ninety five is the last time a Big Ten quarterback went in the first round. How in the hell does that happen? I couldn't believe that when I heard it. Couldn't believe it. That's that's a long time. And there there have been some good. I mean, there's some good yes. Big Ten quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I mean, absolutely. I uh, Kirk Cousins, who I think's very. I mean, good lord, I saw him labeled him a franchise. Put a when you put a franchise tag on Kirk Cousins, whose average is grits above a little above average. I, I think. I think that says something about the state of quarterbacks in, in the NFL. But yeah. Well, yeah, that's a whole other. So, so, yeah, so Drew Brees was not a first-rounder. I, I don't believe so, no, because people said he was too small. Yeah, wow. People said he's too small. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's going to become the all-time passing leader in the history of the sport. Kerry Collins had a bazooka, though. Yes, he did. He had I a mean, Jeff George-like sure. arm. And he might say he had Jeff George-like career. A Big Ten quarterback. Also a Big Ten quarterback. From Man. Illinois. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting. Haskins, I think, is a, a pro guy, though. I think. Oh, uh, yeah, I, think, I do, I think, too. I think he's got I, a howitzer. I think he reminds me of Jameis Winston without being uh, a, a complete, without being <laughs> void of character, uh, without being a complete knucklehead and borderline degenerate. Uh Dwayne Haskins is a good kid with that type of talent. And I think he's, he's going to succeed at the next level for sure. So, uh, but that's going to be your answer. He's going in the first round. Some people think he's going to be a top 10 pick. 
I, uh, I can see because at the combine, I mean, they're going to watch. They're going to watch him throw and fall in love with his arm. Sure. I mean, the, the pro guys love guys like that. So yeah, and he has all the intangibles uh, from the neck up as well. So uh, that that'll be a slam dunk. Okay, now the easy question: What do these players have in common? Will Greer, Debo Samuel, Noah Fant, tight end of Iowa, Rashawn Gary, Greedy Williams, Ed Oliver, Keneal Harry, Arizona State wideout, Kelvin Harmon, NC State wideout. What do they all have in common? Ah, uh, skipping the bowl. Exactly. They're all bailing on the bowl. They're all going to be relatively high NFL draft picks that are bailing on the bowl game. What does it mean? What are we looking at here? Should we be concerned about this? Well, here's the first first thing. What I don't what I don't like about it is the um, the uh, you know National Socialist Party national media and college football that kind of decides what the hell that we all should think and believe, and you know that generally puts out a narrative that the game is bad. That coaches are making too much money, mm-hmm. um, the players need to get paid, and it's not fair. And they don't like bowl games because they're not traditionalists. Because most of them are baseball fans, they just write about college football, <laughs> um, you know. And, and they don't care, and, and so they don't understand the, the quirky traditions of our sport. And you know, they don't like to go cover the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery in freezing cold December. But there, there's something poetic about it to me. Um, so they don't like bowl games. Ah, they're just exhibitions anyway. Eh, they don't mean anything. Eh, eh. And so then a few years ago, Leonard Fournette, who as a running back, Mike, you're Leonard Fournette. You're going to be the top running back taken in the draft. You're super talented. They're giving you the ball 30 times a game. Um, Yeah, you know, maybe I'll skip the bowl and save the wear and tear. And I understood that. Well, mm-hmm. then everybody gets behind it. Like it's like, it's a God given, right? Like everybody should do this. Everybody. Why waste your future on an exhibition game? Why, 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 why? And so here we go. The ball gets rolling. Now, look, I, I think that bowl games are not meaningless. Bowl games are fun for fans. They're fun for players. Uh, it's, uh, it's good. good. To let your team play a team that you that wasn't on the schedule is like a nice surprise. You open it up and go, oh, look, North Texas. We get to play them. We, we weren't expecting this. They weren't on the schedule. Yay. Yay, North Texas. Or whoever. I, I, I think that they could make the matchups better. Um, the programming and the TV dollars are there. Um, and, and I don't think there's anything about bowl games that's – you know, feeds into the, this is what's wrong with college athletics narrative. I think it's a very spiteful thing to be, you know, dissing bowl games and, you know, saying, well, players just need to look out for themselves and, and, uh, and miss the game because they don't mean anything. And well, they mean, they do mean something. They still mean something. They wouldn't play it if they don't mean, every time you step on the field, it means something. It means a hell of a lot more than maybe a game against an FCS opponent the week before you play in the iron bowl. I don't know. Um, so that part makes me want to throw up, you know, that, that we had all these guys when Fournette did it, hailing him like he's some hero and like, this is what the trend needs to be and blah, blah, blah. Because you know what? If enough guys don't play in the damn bowl game, Mike, we're not going to have any bowl games. 
And that's not that, good for college football. That's the concern. And, and, and that, but, but that being said, I didn't blame Leonard Fournette for that because there's a lot of money at stake for him being the number one running back in the draft. Running backs have a short shelf life. Um, yeah, hey, why risk it, Leonard? You know, Christian McCaffrey did it too. He skipped out on the, the Sun Bowl. McCaffrey, yeah, skips out on the Sun Bowl because again, running backs, short shelf life, that kind of thing. Um, if you've like Debo Samuel has a history of injury, mm-hmm. okay, this is the first season he's made it from game one to game twelve without missing any time in his career, and he's a fifth year senior. And last year he played in two and a half games and was was one of the most explosive players in college football that broke his leg. He had chronic hamstring injuries or issues before. And then he goes out there and breaks his leg. So you got to rehab all that. He comes back. He made it through, was just as good, took some kicks to the house this year. You know, they played him on special teams, like punt coverage and stuff. He's a returner. Look, I, I, Debo Samuel played his butt off for the University of South Carolina. Given the fact that he's had all these injuries, given the fact that here's a guy that dove into the a bottom of a, a scrum in the end zone on a fumble punt snap against Akron and won the battle and recovered a fumble for a touchdown, which was the fifth way he scored in his career. I think that you look at his risk-reward and look at the fact that this guy's been a great teammate and he's gotten hurt every year he's played. He's finally made it. Yeah, I don't think I'd risk it. But Kelvin Harmon? Kelvin Harmon's not even that good. Well, they're saying he could be a first-round pick. He could be. 6'4". He's, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a good player. He's from New Jersey. I, I remember when he was a recruit. But I don't, you know. You're a wide receiver. I mean, you're not going to get. I understand the running back that gets 30 touches a game yeah. and is nicked up. Uh, the Debo is a un- Debo Samuel is a unique case. If you're a wideout, if you're Keneal Harry, if you're Kelvin Harmon, I mean, really, you can't play another game. Ed Oliver. Some people would tell you Ed Oliver has been skipping games anyway. Yeah, um, he sure has. I, I've had sources that have told me that was a whole disaster this year. He didn't want to play this year. He found excuses not to play this year. It finally blew up, and Major Applewhite said, you know, if you don't wear the sweatshirt or whatever. That was deeper than what he was wearing. That was, look, you basically quit on us in some games this year. Get out. And so Ed Oliver, nuts. Uh, I would have been shocked if Ed Oliver did play, play yeah. in the bowl game for Houston. Let's put it that way. He's really all, good, too. Yeah, he, oh, yeah. Really and, and again, he's a, he's, a, he's a lock as a top 10 pick. Um. I guess the one that disappoints me the most, and I'm trying to think of this in terms of if I was an NFL scout, like, NFL scouts aren't going to hold it against Debo, Oliver, Grady Williams, Rashawn Gary. But if I am an NFL scout and I'm evaluating quarterbacks and I see Will Greer bail on the bowl game and Will Greer, look, there's a, there's a hot and cold to Will Greer. Mm-hmm. It's not all good. Um, that would have been another chance to evaluate him. It's 15 more practices, which is the hidden reason why a lot of these kids, a lot of these kids, if you could just pose the question, you could play in the bowl game, but you, you don't have to practice 15 times. They'd sign up for that. Give me my swag bag. I'll show up for four quarters and I'll play in one more game. They don't want the practice. They don't want the grind of working out in December and January when uh, most kids are just enjoying the holidays with their families. But 
I, I, if I will Greer, I don't know if that is the wisest move because let me tell you, intangibles really matter when it comes to the quarterback spot and, and, and attitude matters and whether or not you're a gamer matters. I don't think Will Greer did himself any favors bailing on that. Now, look, he's still going to go to the combine. He's going to show off his arm, and, and and there are a lot of scouts. It's not going to be the first thing on the scouting report. You know, Will Greer skipped his bowl game, but I do think, I do think you're talking about a kid already. There were some questions about. Of course, he got kicked out of Florida for taking some type of uh, uh, steroid or whatever the case may be. You wouldn't know what to look at him. It's not as if Will Greer is an Adonis, but um, I, I just I wonder for a, for a quarterback to bail out on a bowl game after having a good year. They didn't just like limp into the bowl game. They didn't go six and six. West Virginia had a, a season to be proud of. Be nice for him to cap it off. That that's the only one to me that I thought was uh, somewhat surprising and disappointing at the same time. But, and the other thing is, and you kind of touched on this. I don't know what to feel about. I'm not like angry at these kids. I'm not, I'm not paranoid that it's going to completely destroy tier two and tier three bowl games. But for those that want to make this another, just uh, disjointed argument on players getting paid. First of all, they are getting paid something now as compared to college football players have never been compensated better than what they are today. If you think they should be compensated more, that's fine. Uh, but let's just say hypothetically, like an extra, what, three grand for this game, five grand. I mean, throw out a number. These, these are all NFL kids. So they're not staying for They're not leaving because of a lack of money. They can't afford to take their girlfriend to the movies. They can't get pizza. They eat like Kings. They get disposable income. Trust me. They're not worried about their next meal or whether or not they can they can live above subsistence level. That's not the issue. The issue is you've got a league that they've been dreaming about playing in that's paying millions versus college football that can never pay more than thousands. And so they would still make this decision whether or not you feel like they're getting compensated enough. And here's my thing, too, about it is uh, I, I think the NCAA needs to do one more little tweak um, with regards to, to bowl games, if this starts being a bigger trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what you do is you, they've done a good job tweaking the red shirt rules. And I think that was kind of in response to this because, you know, now a guy can come in and play in four games. So if you've got kids that have only played in two, say you had two blowouts, and uh, one of your starters ends up uh, skipping the bowl, going to the NFL, I mean, you kind of get a preview for next year, like – West Virginia fans are going to understand now, like, hey, well, this guy could be our quarterback next year. I think with early enrollees, I think the NCAA needs to make them eligible for bowl practice and eligible for bowl games. Um, If this becomes a big deal where you have like five or six guys per school saying, ah, skipping the bowl, getting ready for the NFL, because then then fans will remain interested because they'll – you know, sit there and watch kind of a preview for next year, kind of like a spring game, but against another opponent or something. Um, and that's only if this really starts becoming more than a handful of players um, across the country. But, yeah, I mean, you know, players getting paid. Look, man, these guys are well taken care of. I, I do think that eventually as, as the money continues to balloon, um, I would like to see some of that money going into 
you know, long-term health care, health insurance, mm-hmm. that's a big deal in our country these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, if, if they, you know, sacrifice their body on the field to, to raise a lot of money for your university, which it does, um, I, I think that maybe you could take care of them in that way um, and maybe give them a stipend when it's over. Um, I think the amateurism stuff is bunk. Um, maybe let them sell their likeness while they're in school. Uh, and there, there's all kinds of little tweaks we can do um, to take care of players better. But, but there are, they already are taken care of a lot. I mean, it, it's, it's, life is not bad. I mean, you're talking about a Vegas-style buffet with a carving station and everything else where you get to eat every day. Um, that, that's awesome. But, uh, but, but there, There's worse ways to be a college kid than being a Division One athlete, sure. believe me. And college Try, football yeah. kids very well. And look, this is not me. Hey, I don't mind if they get paid. I just, when people want to start that argument, have an honest argument. Don't BS the room as don't start your premise with they can't afford to get buy a pizza. That's ridiculously, ridiculously stupid. It's an insult to anybody's intelligence who's ever been around college football players in today's day and age. They do quite well. And some of them, quite frankly, when they do get those extra checks, those cost of attendance checks, plus those Pell Grant checks, plus all the, the thousands of dollars they get that they never have to pay back. In addition, to having everything paid for them. What do they do with that money? Uh, some of them do noble things. Some of them send it back to mom and dad who are struggling or whatever. Some of them spend it on different things like weed, like jewelry. Some like of them go to the strip club, man. Some go to strip clubs. Local let's, let's economy, not, baby. It, it, exactly. So, you know, co- the thing yeah, is, and I don't care because they're I don't care kids, either. You know? I, I don't. It doesn't bother me. I've, I've never been one of these eggheads that, that feels uh, so. I had a lot of friends growing up. Uh, some of which I played with in high school, some of which I met in college that were division one athletes. And I didn't hate on them at all. I, I, I love the fact that they were getting uh, a taste of a better life than your average college student. Good for them. They're not your average college student. They're bringing in money. They're entertaining folks. That's, that's fine. That's great. I wouldn't care if they, if the NCAA tomorrow, it's not going to happen passed a uniform bill that said every player that participates in a bowl game gets a nice sweet check for $10,000. Okay. Let's just say hypothetically that happened. Guess what? Will Greer ain't coming. Debo Samuel ain't coming. Rashawn Gary ain't coming. Ed Oliver ain't coming because $10,000 for these kids is a drop in the bucket when they're about to make seven figures Mm -hmm. and they are about to make seven figures. So, when we talk about how do we fix this, I don't know if there is a fix. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just think yeah. you got to keep it interesting for the fans. I mean, I think that's who you got to care about in this situation, you know, just, uh, you know, and, and the coaches and, and their roster and, and the games, you know, preserve the game. I mean, look, Leonard Fournette wants to go away. Then, you know, Darius guy starts the bowl or, or, or whoever you recruit starts the bowl. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways they can keep it going that, that fans will show up because here, here's the thing. These people don't realize that are like pay the players. This, the, you know, the schools are making so much money off the backs of these players. Well, let me tell you something slice. Um, college sports fans don't give a diddly damn about the players. It's great to have great players. And we all love watching great players play, but college sports fans show up because they love their school. 
mm-hmm. and their team. It's not like the NBA where you're going to have a packed house for the Cavs when, when LeBron is there. And then when they trade him away, you're going to get, you know, two or 3,000. People care about their school. It's not even really like the NFL. You know, it, it, it's a bonding. And, and in the states that, you know, don't have pro sports, and even in states like this one that do, even people that aren't college graduates – relate to the University of Georgia or to Clemson University because that's where they're from or they just like the school. And I don't care if you end up having a situation where pro football has a minor league and all the top players go directly there. You know how how much that's going to hurt college football? Not a lot. Not a lot because people in college football that love college football love their school, and you it's, can always find somebody to go play for your school. Well, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's uh, I always, whenever anybody takes it to that extreme, I always say, look, college athletics is not different than the real world in real business, and that is this supply and demand. And there's never going to be a lack of supply of high school kids that have a dream of playing big time college athletics. So yeah, if you did start a kind of the equivalent of a G league for college football, uh, or, you know, for, for football, instead of going to college, it's, there's still going to be 80 to a hundred thousand fans at so many of these venues and that the money's going to keep pouring in and, and everybody will be fine because so often it is about that name on the front of the Jersey as opposed to the back. So, uh, by no means is this the start of the apocalypse kids skipping out on tier two bowl games. Uh, but I, I don't think that this is going to stop anytime soon. I think you're just going to have to get used to it. I think you just got to deal with it. Now, when we do get to an 18 playoff and we're, we're going to unfortunately be out of time to get into that too deep today, we'll get into it next week. Uh, that at least will expand the pool of potential players that will really have to decide whether or not they love to compete. Because if you bail out on a playoff, huh. that's a different story. If you bail out on the Belk Bowl, okay. Uh, but if you bail out on the playoff, uh, that might be a little bit of a, of a different scenario. And that might be looked upon a little bit differently. So we'll touch on that next week. Yeah. Cause there's a, you, all of a sudden now you've got guys like uh, bowls and other conference commissioners. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you, know, you know, come and think of it. Um, we ought to go to eight uh, very predictably. All it took was teams from the big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, not getting in. This is really not even about UCF. UCF's just an ancillary part of the argument whether or not uh, the group five champion should be in. This is about power five schools not being included in the playoff every year. And the moment that happened, and I could see this coming the moment this format came out, that was when the snowball was going to start rolling down the hill to expand. And the only question now is whether or not we do it before the contract ends in 2026 or after it ends. Here's my thing. I'm all for an 18 playoff under two conditions. Number one, conference championship games go nowhere. Number two, don't include the group of five. I'm I'm okay with a group five champion. I know where you're coming from on that. It wouldn't bother me if the number eight team gets to go and gets spanked by Alabama every year. But, uh, I, I know. I, mean, I, I know. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't take UCF over Michigan. 
No, I'm not or saying somebody I, like that. You know? I'm not saying UCF's a better team. At that point, that's not even the argument. I yeah. think we all acknowledge that they're not. At that point, is it is about this. Let's throw them a bone. Let's make it more inclusive. We love that word, don't we? Oh, it's more inclusive. Oh, the world would be a better place if everything was more inclusive. Um, that will make those conferences happy. Uh, hopefully provide some money for those leagues, which could desperately use it, believe it or not. Uh, so I, it wouldn't bother. I'm not saying it would be my first choice. I would want the eight best teams. But if, if that was part of the clause, I'll live with it. So we get the best seven teams and we get one team that gets to lose to the number one seed every year in Tuscaloosa. Fine. Uh, you know, that, that's okay. That's okay. For three. Uh, but your other point for me is, is, is the biggest one because this is, this is a, it's a non-starter. They're not ever, ever, never, ever, never getting rid of the SEC championship game, and nor should they. So just stop even thinking of hypothetical situations where that's going to happen. Work around it if you have to. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not going away. Well, it's I mean, not. what you just do if you're the SEC then is you just back it up to Thanksgiving weekend. You back the whole season up, and you you make all the ACC rivals readjust their schedule. I mean, the ACC and the SEC have like – there's like four games – Kentucky, Louisville, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State that are right there on Thanksgiving weekend every year along with the Iron Bowl and everything else. The good news is the ACC makes their schedules out like every year. It's not like the SEC where it's set. So you can easily move those back, move the Iron Bowl back, move everything back to SoCon Saturday and then play the championship game Thanksgiving weekend and then you're ready to roll first round the next week. I mean, I you know, I, I just – I. I I think the SEC championship game is awesome. I think some of these other championship games are the, the Big 12 championship game, you know, because it's come back now. If we think back through history, when they used to have that thing every year with the divisions, there were some Titanic upsets, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Um, I think it's good for the Pac 12 to have a championship game, even though a lot of people didn't attend this year. Um, you know, I think the Big 10 championship game, I mean, look. Auburn would have never made it to the BCS National Championship game in 2013 had there not been a Big Ten Championship game. And Michigan State upsets Urban Meyer and sends him to eat Pizza Hut pizza in there in the concourse. You know, I mean, great moments have come from these conference title games, and I like them. And and I think you want to be inclusive. You know, don't give it to the Wambulance down in Orlando. Um, This year, if Every conference champion got into the playoff. You would have had an opportunity where Northwestern could have gotten in. Utah could have gotten in. Um, Pitt could have gotten in, hypothetically. Yes. And, hypothetically. Uh, and, you know, and, and a lot of them, um, and then either Texas or Oklahoma, and, of course, not Georgia and Alabama. But, I mean, you, you, that, that, there are teams that aren't part of the Blue Bloods winning divisions out there. Right. And then you're one game away. And, and so I like that, but I, I think that you you need to keep the um, the conference title games intact for that reason. I mean, it's it's kind of like the, the you know the conference basketball tournaments; they still play them, you know, and they still make money. And while the other ones don't make as much as the SEC does, the Big Twelve, uh, the Pac twelve, the Big Ten, the, those championship games do make money, so they're not going away either. Folks, get used to it. Whether you like them or not, they're there to stay. And one more point. So many people talked about it had Georgia gotten in this year. And it was another year of two SEC teams. 
in which case three of the power five would have been left out because you got Notre Dame. Uh, that would have been the apocalypse apocalypse to really start the ball rolling, that we've, we've got to do something. Uh, it's too much SEC. It's too much SEC. I got news for you, folks. If you're an SEC hater or just a troll, the, the Danny Cannells of the world, uh, when they expand to six or eight, more often than not, you are going to have two SEC teams in that expanded playoff. So your hatred is just going to become more hatred because uh, look at the last five years. More often than look at the last 10 years. More often than not, there have been two SEC teams that would have finished in the final eight after championship Saturday. Uh, yeah, like last year, Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama would have all made it. Exactly. All three, you know. So so if you think that somehow that's going to make your world a better place because you hate the SEC so much and you go to sleep every night with your voodoo doll that has the SEC logo on it, and you stick that pin in it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I can't it take it. It just means more, doesn't it? It just uh, means more. Uh, it, it, it's, yes. You're going to continue to hate. You're going to continue to hate every part of that because the SEC will be more included in the more inclusive six or eight team playoff. I'll tell you what, if you want to be included in the very best men's clothing options imaginable. What a great time. They have they haven't have trouble keeping things on the shelf right now at, at BP Skinner Clothiers because everybody knows it is a great place to shop for the Christmas season, whether it's for your dad, your brother, your uncle, uh, your father-in-law. You don't like them, but you still got to keep them happy, no matter what the case may be, or maybe even for yourself. Sometimes you need to treat yourself. You can go check out the store. They're located over there in beautiful South Carolina, or you can have Brent Skinner come to you. That's right. For people like myself and all over the country that want to have the very best in custom suits, shirts, and so much more, Brent comes out to you, gets your exact body type, fits you up, gets you looking your very best, so many different options, and believe you me, you will tell the difference. You will see it. You will feel it. And people will tell you, as they've told me, how much better you look with those custom clothes from BP Skinner Clothiers. Treat yourself. Treat the people you love right. Go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. JC, it's been fun, as always. Absolutely, Mike. Looking forward to uh, chatting next week. Then we head into Christmas. And we'll, we'll actually have some semifinal games to talk about next week as we'll be on hiatus because uh, they're playing those bad boys on the 29th this year. That's right. Which That's is right. something, too. If they go to eight, they've got to change that crap. That's way too early for, for semifinals. I understand you want it on a Saturday and all that TV, but uh, that they need to get back to some – Anyway, we can talk about that. We'll, we'll hit. We'll tackle we, that yeah, next week. I've got, I've, got, I've got lots to say about this, Mike. I really do. Yes, we'll tackle that. We'll tackle uh, some of the better non-playoff bowl games out there as well. So much to talk to this December. The games aren't rolling on, but we certainly are on the JC and Morgan podcast, and we will see you folks next week.